This is a journey into sound. Welcome, everybody. Uh, glad to have you back listening. We're all survivors of the St. Anger experience, and I want to thank you for tuning in. My name is Dave, coming at you from Los Angeles. I'm here with my co-hosts, Mark. What up? Mark from Boston. Go Celtics. And Gene. Hello, this is Gene in Oakland, California. And we're coming at you hot with reviews and opinions. Sky Ferreira's Nighttime My Time. Uh, Nazem's Helvete. Did I pronounce that correctly? I don't speak Swedish. <laughs> Does anyone speak Swedish out there? And up first, we have Mark talking about his selection, Grand Funk Railroads Live. <laughs> from 1970. Just a quick uh, intro here on why I picked this album. Um, one, I hadn't heard it in a long time and I just wanted an excuse to play it. And uh, Dave and Gene are pretty hardcore metalheads and things uh, involving heaviosity. And this is hardly the heaviest album I've ever heard, but it's kind of, uh, I think it's kind of underrated in terms of a big, heavy sounding record. I don't know of any classic rock band in history that had higher highs at the peak of their popularity. And I don't wanna say lowest lows, but in terms of where they were at their biggest to now where they're essentially like almost a where are they now bands. I mean, there are two versions of Grand Funk on tour right now, but most people do not know Grand Funk Railroad really at all except for essentially like three songs that you would hear on terrestrial radio, which are like, I'm your captain, closer to home, we're an American band and some kind of wonderful. Aside from like those three songs, I don't think anybody really knows Grand Funk at all, which is why I think the Homer Simpson joke, which I think we have to just get out of the way, where he tells Bart and his friends in the backseat, he says, nobody knows Grand Funk. The wild shirtless lyrics of Mark Farner, the bong rattling bass of Mel Shocker, the competent drum work of Don Brewer. Like he's legitimately disappointed because in Homer's day, Grant Funk was, I'm not even kidding, like maybe the biggest band in the entire world. They were like bigger than Zeppelin. And around the time of this live album, they, um, they had the biggest billboard in Manhattan, like billboard history. I saw, I read a whole article about it. This is, it took like, like five blocks or something. 
and it was epic. And then they went to um, Shea Stadium not long after this live album was recorded. It was in 71. And it was one of the biggest shows ever. Like tickets were impossible to get. They sold it out in 10 seconds. Their big claim to fame is that it took like the Beatles three months to sell out Shea Stadium. And it took Grand Funk like 10 hours. And I mean, that's how big they were. Like they were gigunda. So there's the whole story about Grand Funk and all of that, which I find kind of fascinating. And then there's the music itself. And I mean, you can hear it from the first second when you put the album on with the intro, like the PA announcer intro, it sounds like complete chaos from like the first second. You can already picture it. The guy's like, let's get out of the aisles and let's get some space and everybody calm down. So Grand Funk can play. You can just imagine the place is complete bedlam. Can't play and, unless you move back. Yeah, it was like crazy, you know? And then Mark Farner takes the stage and right away he's complaining that he's getting shocked. He's getting like <laughs> yeah. electric shock. No, that was... <laughs> he's like, it's kind of a rush, but like too, not too many of those, please. And it's like, man, this, this shit is crazy right off the bat. This is just like insanity. But just a reminder too, this is 1970. So like we're barely out of the 60s here. Like this is like, you know, a lot of classic rock that we know and love. This is long before most of it. And um, so I find the whole thing about Grand Funk interesting. And then the album itself, you put it on. And the first thing you notice is that it is pretty raw. They make it a yeah. point to say on the back of the, I have it on vinyl, which is a little bit of a different order than the CD and the, um, the version on Spotify. I will say for the record that I listened to the version um, the CD and Spotify version. So we were all listening to it in the yeah. same track order. That's closer to what the concerts were really like, apparently. But um, on the back of the vinyl, they make it a point to say that basically what was recorded went right from their instruments onto the tape and onto your vinyl. There was no editing done whatsoever. There was no echo. There was definitely no overdubs, no nothing. Well, they what? wanted it to to be as real as possible what year was like kiss alive because i think kiss might have been they might have done stuff that other people had done but like they seemed to that album was so big that i think everyone learned oh you don't have to make your live album really live um you know you put in overdubs and you correct things and i mean we could have a discussion for days about overdubbing and live right. albums that aren't which are the like least live live albums of all time yeah because i mean frampton comes alive a, a lot of that stuff was doctored in the studio um even like the dead europe 72 a lot of it was done after the fact especially vocally i think a lot of live albums were cleaned up yeah that well, would make sense example. for the dead and it's one of the things i love about this album is because this album is just it's just balls to the wall in your face the mix of it and i don't know i, I can't wait to, to hear your opinion of it whether you like it you don't like it whatever but like for me i don't know if i've ever heard a more thunderous bass like <laughs> definitely on a live album i don't i mean yeah. the, the bass on this album it's like could you imagine what it was like in the room when i was listening to it for like the third or fourth time today on airpods on spotify walking through boston it was taking my head off i mean that bass in that room oh so, my god it gave me some danny Lilker vibes at times where i was like oh <laughs> it's taking the lead and it's so distorted and gnarly it's crazy yeah, i definitely did a double take 
when I looked up, like, I'm like, who the, who's this band? And I'm like, not, not, not like who are there, but who, who's, who are the players here? And I'm like, oh man, that's, that's a power trio. I, <laughs> that's a big sound yeah. for three guys to be yeah. getting. Um, that's a big sound from three dudes, right. Flint, Flint, Michigan. You know, I think one of the reasons too, why they were so popular is because they're from Flint, Michigan. They definitely gave like the vibe of being like the everybody's band. Yeah. Critics hated them, by the way. Critics hated this album and they hated all of their albums. But yeah, like but, the people were like loving this shit. But like, I mean, that's that's funny though, because like um I mean what what were critics in 1970, 1971? Like, I mean, how old was Rolling Stone? And it's like if 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 you weren't even being judged by the people with the sensibilities of Rolling Stone writers, who, what were the sensibilities of the people who passed for critics at the time? You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and by the way, Rolling Stone probably by 1971, you know, already was on its crusade to show that music is, was past peak and everything sucked now. <laughs> I mean, yeah. in, fa in fairness to the critics, yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say this is a very meat and potatoes band and like mm -hmm. they're heavy and there's some awesome stuff on this album but my biggest um my biggest reservation to fully embracing this album was just the songwriting isn't that interesting um lyrically or you know instrumentation wise um you know there's Absolutely. definitely a, a, there's a lot of cool stuff on here but you know if you're a critic it you know it's not exactly Bob Dylan lyrics or, you know, pushing the boundaries musically. It's just a kick-ass, yeah. straight, straightforward rock band. You know? So 100%. You're not going to like, this is not like deeply intellectual music. So I want to, I want to um, put something out there uh, that, that will roll over to future albums because I, I think there is a bit of a theme in the albums we recommended this week that I'm sure none of us had in mind. But all of these albums are pretty simplistic in their lyrics and very, very indicative of just what everyone in that style does. Like, like I, I think I explained this to, to my wife and I'm like, yeah, Grand Funk is like, woman, you ain't gonna fool me no more. I'm moving on. <laughs> and that's like the lyric. It's like, yeah. okay, all right. I know yeah. what this song's about. Like, he ain't gonna let that woman fool him anymore. <laughs> right. The album, and, the album starts with, are you ready? Which is like a classic, reminded me of Cheap Tricks, Hello There. It's like every show. Totally. Uh, start with this song. Hold it's on. Like, this is, okay, totally. this was, this album is not my style. This album was too long. These guys are super talented and I get it and, and all that. But let me just say, I'm never going to forget like listening to this album because I listened to it for the first time while my plane was taking off. Ooh. And when, when are you Love ready it. came on, I yeah. looked out the window as like the buildings were flying past me. And it was just like, I'm in a movie right now. This is just too Love perfect. It. Like it yeah. works. Like it was like, it is it, that song screams like travel montage. And like, it's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's, it's a great 
that that's just such an amazing live album opener. And it's like, you know, I'm sure on, on a on a studio disc, that song's kind of like, all right. You have to <laughs> like listen cool, to it. Cool I, track, I think it's from but, their first album. Yeah, I actually wrote down it's it's um that's from On Time, which is their, yeah, first, their album. first album. Yeah, most um, of these songs come from the first three albums, which is On Time. The second one's just called Grand Funk Railroad, but has a red cover, so people yeah. call it the red album. And then Closer to Home. And um the only thing like I, I agree with you guys. I definitely don't think this is like the highest in terms of musical art. I think the lyrics are incredibly simplistic. I think the music's incredibly simplistic. Um, I think it grooves and pounds in a way though that is definitely head nodding for me. And I really find myself into it. Um, the thing that kind of bummed me out a little bit was I, I would have liked a little bit of a change of pace. Mean Mistreater, which is maybe my favorite, one of my favorite Grand Funk songs, but definitely maybe my favorite on this album, breaks up the vibe a little bit. But I could have used like one more. And the song that they should have put on this is... Um, I'm Your Captain? I'm Your Captain. Closer yeah, to Home. So, so like the, um, the unsophisticated like marketing of this album, like... They literally recorded this a week after their new album came out. Mean Mistreater is the only song from that album. Yeah. And it's the like, only, it's just kind of a weird choice. Weird it is weird. The only thing I, I thought about it and the only thing I could chalk it up to is it, it's two things. I think one, they just wanted this album to be a banger. They just wanted it to just like yeah. hit you over the head hard. This is what we do. We're grand funk. We're coming to your town and we'll help you party down even though that came later, but like, or because I'm your captain is such a big hit. They didn't want to put it on two different albums and they want people to keep buying the studio album. Yeah. If you put it on the live one, a lot of people are just going to buy the live one. They end up with like a mishmash of like people that they didn't buy that many of one or the other. Instead, just everybody keep buying closer to home. I yeah. don't know. But I think I, I could have used the closer to home or something else on this album. But this album, um, not something I'm, I listen to all the time, but in terms of heaviness, in terms of live heaviness, I mean, that is one of the most pumping live albums I've ever heard. It's just, it's thunderous. So yeah, Mark, it, I- It oh. kicks you in the face right away. And I, I also want to just take a minute to acknowledge the audacity of the album title and the cover. It's just stripped down, no frills, <laughs> live album. So there's some of the only artifice there. Apparently the cover shot was not from any of these shows oh, uh, which wow. is kind of like everything else i mean i really loved you could like hear individual people in the crowd cheering and i really liked that because i thought of it now everything kind of gets mixed where you, maybe if one guy yells something really loud you you get to hear it but you don't hear like an individual voice cheering and i kind of liked that vibe of like um you know, makes you feel more there than when you just hear kind of like the 
the the cacophonous roar um but it, it needs to be said uh grand funk railroad i'm almost positive was one of the bands that caused someone to coin the term heavy metal um and it's because you know iron butterfly uh grand funk railroad um machine head uh by deep by deep purple but there there was all this iconography with heavy machinery and iron and metal and that's where the term came from um that's so awesome I'm, I'm not surprised and i have to say like i didn't think this was gonna necessarily go in a metal direction um and again you you know i bow down to you guys and your superior knowledge of all things heavy metal but you know and not just because there's a song on this album called paranoid but like <laughs> I do think that there, I mean, you have to at least say there's a little bit of proto metal going on in this yeah. record. Absolutely. I've got I an mean, early seventies album for you. It's got hits like paranoid and heartbreaker. You'll love it. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's not funny though. If you think about it, right. It's paranoid and heartbreaker, but like people wouldn't think grand funk. And I think that's like maybe subconsciously why I picked it is because you don't think of them with metal you just think of Grand Funk with a couple of hits, but I wanted to kind of, um, not that I'm the biggest Grand Funk fan in the world, but just like open you guys up to realize that this band, like they're, they're pretty interesting, you know? And yeah. this is such a time capsule too. I mean, my God, from like the warning message halfway into the show where it's like, brothers and sisters, if the person next to you hands you something, don't take it. He may look like you, but he is not you. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's great advice. I take, you know, anytime. You know, they're definitely there, you know, but then they covered the animals. I'm pretty sure Inside Looking Out is an animal song and it's yes, about it like, getting busted for like making dime bags or something. So it's kind of yeah. weird. It's like they want to be like anti-drug, but they also want their fans to like them. So they kind of like threw them uh, a I line have, about dime bags. I have it in my notes. The animals did it in 348. Grand Funk finds another 10 minutes somehow. <laughs> yeah. That's cool that they, <laughs> that's cool that with the CD, they like jiggered the, the track list to be uh, more like what they were doing live. But I was staring down those last three songs and I'm like, these are 36 minutes. <laughs> look, and, look, Gene, you need space for a harmonica solo to really play out. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I don't know. I was, I was contemplated during uh, a TNUC which I'm, I, yeah, I, I'm guessing that's like Tuesday next UC um, instead of see you next Tuesday. You're on, you're, you're a hundred percent right there. It's, yeah. it's actually simpler than that. Uh, okay. Track nine, just read it backwards. Um, I don't, I don't have the track. Read it backwards. Yeah. You know, like, He's not going to let his lady fool him anymore. <laughs> the, the bass in that song was really, really good. Yeah, I, 
I have I good bass. And I then, can imagine a, a hip hop artist sampling that track because it was had a little funk to it. And and there's some great solos, you know, at moments yeah. like Paranoid had a pretty killer guitar solo, and you could hear the audience like responding to it, which was cool. And they they start applauding as the guy's shredding, and then I start applauding in my room, like banging my head and thrashing about, even though it's you know not Sabbath's Paranoid, but yeah. You know, they also a, looked really cool. You know, like Homer Simpson wasn't joking when he says the wild shirtless lyrics of Mark Varner. <laughs> I mean, he looks like he's got the perfect straight blonde hair, no shirt on, and he is just like doing his thing. And then there's like an afro. I think it's the drummer as like there's at least a afro in there, you know? Nice. So I, I noticed in this experiment here with you guys recommending albums that each of these albums you guys picked for me, I had one clear standout song that I, I liked head and shoulders above the other tracks. Cool. cool Can you cool, cool. guess which one it was on this album? Uh, for this album, I'm going to say... Like there, there's one track on this album that I, I went to listen to the studio version because I was curious what it sounded like. I'm going to say Into the Sun. Because that was my second favorite after the Are You Ready? Into the Sun was um, a little Renaissance fairy for me, uh, although <laughs> so it, it I, had some bluest or cultish moments to it and I've, some spinal tap. I felt the riff was total uh, Steppenwolf magic carpet ride. Uh, there was like it was yeah, like a I... scratchy wah riff, and I don't know who's ripping off who. And uh, certainly, I have a lot to say about that when we get to the the Sky Ferreira. But just you know, that's there's like an Elvis Costello line because. Uh, because what's her name? Uh, Olivia Rodriguez totally redid Pump It Up. And like they asked Elvis Costello and he's like, that's what rock and roll is. Like you take the parts, you take what you like and don't like, you rearrange it and that's what it is. So no, I'm not going to do anything to her. Um, but like, yeah, you know. I, I think Dave, I know you need hooks. I know you like a good banging track with a good hook maybe a good musical melody. So I'm thinking for you, it's got to probably be either In Need or Heartbreaker. I'm going to go with Heartbreaker. Heartbreaker. Mark, you know me too well. Wow. Heartbreaker. Yes. Funny thing is too, I think like I listened to all these albums several times since we selected them because I just was compelled to keep going back and like searching. And um for Heartbreaker, I don't think it stood out the first time through, but like the second time, I, I really picked up on the beautiful intro. And then I like how at the end, there's almost like a psych out ending where you think the song's about to fade out. Yeah. And it, it ramps up and the solo is just scorching. Yeah. So yeah. I, I yeah. wrote down, love the change at around five, five minutes. Yeah. You get like two more minutes that goes up a notch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like, and that's, that's something about the, this album. Like, I was like, they're not doing like prog and the songs are really long. And like when, when I listen to stuff in the seventies that are long like this, I'm just like, man, I love punk rock. And like punk rock was like invented because arena rock got bloated. And is this not a lot of the bloat like I've heard about? Oh, it, it is. Yeah. <laughs> but this does have a bit of punk energy to it almost, you know, like the, the energy is just, yeah, I mean, they, they bring it. And uh, I also noticed with Mean Mistreater, I thought for some reason, I, I guess maybe because it's more ballady, but uh, 
his vocals kind of kicked up a notch on that song. It, he sounded a little better there. Yeah, it's that, a little more expressive. It's just like different from your just typical blues blues rock kind of stuff. Exactly. And then there's like, there's keyboards that come there's, on. Yeah, that, keyboards. Like I was like, I lost it because I was like, wait, these guys have keyboards up there because they're just rocking for the first like half hour. Well, I want to see the bass player more than anyone in the band. So, is he not the MVP of this album? Yeah, yeah. I mean, is that bong rattling bass? Mark, how do you feel about the jams? Because you're a jam head. This album I am has a jam head. This album has jams and solos. Yeah, I think again the bass saves it. I think I can follow along with that bass. Will always keep my neck snapping, and it grooves in a way and it's interesting melodically that like i'm i'm taking the ride without that i think that they just it could get a little boring it could get you know a little tedious after a while because they're certainly not doing anything that like unique or complicated or interesting they're just throwing down hard blues but i think that the again the power of it is what makes it compelling for me i think if the volume was turned down a little bit it would just be pretty mediocre because it is border. I mean, it is kind of borderline mediocre as it is, you know? Right. Um, yeah. I think we're lucky that that, that pump and bass is, is what's keeping my, you know, attention focused. I don't think it's controversial to say like the, the few times the harmonica does pop up are not mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, sh- should we talk about, you know, a summation of how we feel about this album overall. Let's give it a hand out some grades. Grade time. I'm just going to go ahead and say, in my opinion, for my taste, this is a B minus album. It is, it is slightly above average. It's uh, an enjoyable album. I liked it. I don't know how often I'll return to it because there's just better options that scratch that itch uh, more ex- in a more exciting way. But, you know, I, I just have to respect that they brought it so hard, you know, and I, I do enjoy proto metal and early hard rock. So this is very worthy. It's just, it, you know, if they trim some of the songs down, if, if the songwriting was a little more interesting, um, you know, it could have been special. Instead, it's just a, a cool live album and a great document of its time. You know, I, I think that's, you know, with you saying that, I think I'm going to bump up my grade to to a C plus. Um, <laughs> I love songwriting. Like to me, songwriting is everything. I, I don't really like improv is cool for me only in the, like only in like, well, your songwriting on on the fly. You know, you could solo, you could you could riff, you could jam a little bit. It's just, it's not really my style. Um, but that moment when I was on the plane, that's a great memory. I might go back to that song. So you have a good, a strong intro, a strong finish. Um, I, I simultaneously liked that this album was, I said, what's the audio equivalent of Cinema Verite? With just kind of like, you know, they just have the mics out there. And sure. like, what you get's what you get. Like, um, but at the same time, like Warts and all. I, I was laughing about the shocking, like this mic is <laughs> shocking me. It's like, dude, you can cut that. And like, you have a 75 minute album and you have a two thirty opener and it's like, you could, you know, like, I don't want to give away the secrets here, but this podcast is going to be longer than what we put out. 
like you, you do some cutting and, and I think like that's not necessarily a sin. So C plus. Yeah, these are not my favorite songs. I don't think about these songs too often. Mean Mistreater, I, I still to this day wake up sometimes with that song on my head a little bit. It's catchy. Um, but I think the thunder of the live album, the fact that it is pretty ballsy to be like, we went to these towns and blew minds and rocked their faces and we are going to warts and all give it all to you with the PA announcer and the shocks and everything. It is such a cool document that um, I just have a lot of respect for it. The bass rips and in terms of pure thunderous heaviness in a live album, I don't know any other live album that's heavier. I, I think this album is heavier than Kiss Alive. I think Kiss Alive is a far better album and I'm, I reach for that a million times. I would really re listen to Kiss Alive 250 times probably before I listen to this once. Wow. But I don't think that I've heard too many live albums that are heavier than this and I respect it a lot. And if I can fly the Grand Funk flag a little bit, it's my pleasure. So I am going to give it, I would want to give it somewhere between a B and a B plus. Can I do that? <laughs> a B point five? Yeah. I mean, you're gonna so if I can't, I'm, I'm giving it a B plus. Wow. Okay. You're a gracious professor. <laughs> All right. Well, shall we move on to the second yeah. album of the night? That would be my pick, Sky Ferreira's Nighttime, My Time. <laughs> I selected it because, uh, first of all, I just absolutely adore the album. Uh, kind of obsessed with it. I've listened to it countless times. I feel like there's just a ton going on in it. Um, and I picked it because I was pretty sure you guys hadn't heard it. Um, and I know that I'm always on a quest to turn Gene on to music because his taste can be so uh, rigid. But I know that Gene does enjoy a pop tune from time to time. So Sky Ferreira is very appealing because she's an excellent pop songwriter, singer, but also she has a darkness and an anger and like a, just a real grimy vibe. And sometimes the album even gets heavy, which I'm, I'm not used to hearing from too many pop albums um, where there, there's almost like a industrial production with, with distorted guitars and stuff. So I thought it would be a cool album to share with you guys. And uh, I wanted to, dive into it deeper and really listen to it repeatedly because I love it so much. So uh, I'm curious what your impressions were. I, I love the depiction of me as just some sicko. <laughs> Am I wrong? Am I wrong? <laughs> You're not? Yeah, you know, I like a lot of things. With this album, you guys, it's fair. It's very fair. To, I mean, it's blatantly obvious. This is a pop album. Yes. Right. Yeah. But do you see what I'm saying about yeah. like the sound of it and the vibe of it? Everything no question. But the, the title to the the messed up album cover, which is was photographed by filmmaker Gaspar Noy, who did um, 
Irreversible and a lot of really twisted art films. Um, and, you know, Skye's had like a, a crazy life. Um, you know, she was, I think, a teenage model and, um, and became an actress. She was in an Eli Roth film, Mark. Um, yeah. Yeah, so she, she you know, I and she I was- I knew that. I know Gaspar did the cover art, which was censored for Spotify. Yeah. Thanks yeah. a lot, Spotify. Yeah, it's a, it's a provocative album cover. And an interesting thing about that and about this album in general is she, she had a lot of um, record label problems because I think she had a dark vision for her art that the record label didn't share. And so they wanted her to put out like a, a glamorous, beautiful album cover where she was wearing makeup and and she was like no i want, I want this yeah. twisted filmmaker to take uh, this this shot of me looking heroin chic and okay messed up. um this album really comes across that sky ferreira and or who she's working with really doesn't have down what they want her to be she got discovered on myspace and didn't put out a full length until 2013 that is years. And then we could get into the follow-up, <laughs> which, uh, you know, is promised to be like, at first I heard like, oh, she's going to put out another album and she hasn't since 2013. And I was like, this is what they call vaporware. <laughs> like you, you don't expect another album to come out after nine years, but. I have a lot to say about this album. I mean, the first thing I can say is that I knew pretty quickly why you would have picked this album Dave for sure and you nailed it in your intro I mean it's got hooks it's got interesting production it's kind of trippy at times it's not formulaic but it also is poppy but it also is dark and kind of twisted and it can go to a deep dark place it's it's very not confrontational so much, but it's definitely introspective to the point of uncomfortable at times. There are parts of it that sound a little industrial. There are parts of it that sound a little like Queens of the Stone Age. And there are parts of it that sound like garbage, the band, you know? <laughs> um, and she actually- Good, good qualifier. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> she was actually supposed to do a project with Shirley Manson at one point, but it- Yeah, I, I felt that definitely. I mean, I, I, nighttime, my time, you know, comes from Firewalk with me. Yep. It's like the, the, the vibe is there. You have Gasper's album cover. And I'm like, this, this definitely makes sense. I feel like it, it kind of hits on both levels with you in terms of like the pop hooks and the creative like popness, but then also, you know, you like some deep, dark stuff going on. And I feel like it covers all of those bases. Um, I think the, the production of it, I think is really cool. I think it definitely sounds awesome on headphones. A couple of songs are not my favorite, but I find that almost every song on it, it offers me something pretty cool and interesting. I read that she um, worked with John Bryan, I think early on, and then ditched some of those tracks, which is disappointing as I'm such a huge John Bryan fan, but I'm not surprised that she would work with him like she definitely wants production. So, um, you know, last week when we were talking or the last time we were talking about St. Anger, uh, we were talking about ability to hear like what's good sound. And this was honestly one of the first records I noticed. This album is bricked. 
Like this is a yeah. like, this is a casualty of the loudness war through and through. There is a rating called the dynamic range, and it's basically like only the song "Love in Stereo" has any kind of real dynamics. So, like, there's just a lot of things, especially some of those industrial songs, that it just kind of sounds. I think it sounds noisy in a way that's above and beyond like what you'd maybe want to do. Nighttime, my time, the song. That was um, one. That was like the biggest turn. <laughs> like to something dark and like really like that that's that's a good way to end the album and like honestly i 100%. think some of, some of the industrial and other stuff it was cool but it just kind of you know it was towing the line and I, I just would have liked it to maybe not have like one foot in in pop so much i wrote notes for almost every song on the album we're not going to go yeah. through it track by track but the longest note that I wrote was for Nighttime My Time. Yeah. And I wrote that it's almost experimental compared to the rest of the album. Yeah. And that it was dark and captivating, maybe the best song on the album. And I said that it's a crazy way to end the album. It actually kind of leaves you disoriented. Four hours actually bugged me a little bit because like it seemed like they were trying to write a pop song like with a hook they just keep saying 24 hours and that's the like, garbage song for me that song yeah. to me was totally out of the garbage playbook oh um, okay again the band garbage. <laughs> the band's garbage if i'm referring to garbage i don't think any of this album is straight up garbage another i think secret ingredient to this album which just hits me, you know, in my pleasure center, which is why I respond to it so much is a few of the songs, I feel like sound like Ramon songs, not literally, they don't literally sound like the Ramones, but a song like um, Nobody Asked Me If I Was Okay. Mm -hmm. I can hear Joey Ramone singing that. Yeah. Um, the no, 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 no. You know? Yeah, like, there was a, the belting it, yeah. Um, that not my favorite cut on the album that that was one of my favorites um so i thought good. that that what's what they call the post chorus on uh, genius where i was looking at the lyrics where she says no no um it reminded me of like i couldn't decide if it was pat benatar or patty Smythe in like scandal the warrior mm -hmm. and like i was just i was i was cool with that i was like that's really um that was that was uh, i really liked that track I did write very punk rock now that I look at it. Um, and uh, You're Not the One. I don't mm -hmm. know if it's a sample, but that guitar riff is basically Public Image Limited Rise. Huh. Um, interesting. It's like I'll have this, to go back and listen to it under that lens, with that it's, lens. It's this jangly guitar that they play at the end when Johnny Rotten's going, Anger is an Energy. Mm. Um, oh, I love that album. But that, you know, she did a good job. You're like not the, the one has that vocal hook. I could imagine Dave like the first time you like 
I wanted to sing along to that vocal hook. Like, I'm not going to do it now in this podcast. Like, there's a vocal hook in the chorus of that song that is, it's really good. It's just a goddamn masterpiece. I think it gives me goosebumps sometimes. I, I think it's like the descending melodies of the chorus or something. Like, it's just a little unexpected, you know, and it, it works. Her voice sounds awesome on that. I really think so. I feel like the interesting thing, like, I, I want to talk about a few of the songs here, but like, so there's a song called Heavy Metal Heart that I feel like, you know, again, I'm talking to two gurus of metal. <laughs> for, for me, and it's not because it's like, oh, she called it Heavy Metal Heart and it doesn't sound like Pantera or, you know, Morbid Angel. And it's that makes it lame. It's not like that at all. I just think as a song, like I just wrote EH next to it. I was like, eh, it's all right. Wow. And then ironically, the next song, Christine, actually has more of a metal guitarist in the song the vocals are a little poppier but if you took out the vocals christine's actually more metal than heavy metal heart so uh, heavy metal heart i think she called it heavy metal just because that's a that's a thing you know like it, she's she's talking about being a machine right but she called it heavy metal because people know what heavy metal is and it, it probably fit but like it really had nothing to do with the genre. Yeah. It's funny because we're tiptoeing around what I think is the peak of the whole album we haven't touched on, which I think for me, the, the, the best part of the whole album were the two songs, I Blame Myself and Omanko, um, back to back. I think I Blame Myself for me, it's probably the best song on the album because I found myself going back to it. I listened to this album probably four times, maybe more, but yeah. I actually found myself listening to I Blame Myself, not even for this podcast, just out of actual pleasure because I just got addicted to that song. I just like it. I like the confessional lyrics. I like the way she sings it. And I don't Sounds know, like it's just there's something about that song. I just find like, it's just, that to me is like, you know, I love a good hook too sometimes. And that song just, hooked me with the hooks. Yeah, this album's full of them, and that's definitely one of them, without a doubt. And Omanko so, is crazy because like, if you listen to it, it's like, there's a crazy rhythm in the song that actually doesn't change for the entire song. It like, there isn't like verse chorus where the beat changes. Like it is the same kind of rhythm for the whole thing. And it's actually unique. It's like, it makes your brain kind so, of play tricks because you're, yeah, I, you're I, waiting I, for something to change and it doesn't change. She does that with a few of the songs, I think. And it kind of reminded me of, um... Like uh, that's, I, I read something once about how Talking Heads were, wrote songs around the time of uh, when they did uh, Once in a Lifetime. And it's like, you just keep building layers on top of what you're doing. They're like, we keep playing the same chords over and over again. You just add on top of it. And like, um, it, it, you know, I Blame Myself was actually really like, this is one of like the clear, oh, let's write a pop song. 
Like, and I think this, they really succeed, but it definitely, I, I wasn't that into Omanko. Um, I really, I really liked that song a lot. I thought did, it was unique. I thought it was total headphones music. I thought there was did, a lot. I think it came out the more I heard it. Did but, you look um, up what it meant? I did actually, when I was on the train going to work, I was actually surrounded by people. I don't think anyone saw, but um, yeah. Cause I was like, I couldn't hear that well, exactly what she was singing. Something about Christmas. Japanese, and, um, Japanese. Japanese yeah. Christmas. And one of the nice things now is, you know, I'm used to looking it up, like, you know, Googling it, but on Spotify, yeah. you know, every song now you can hit the button at the bottom and it gives you the lyrics. Yeah. And um, I looked up what Omaka was, and uh, yeah, I guess that's um, one of the most controversial words in Japanese. Well, I'm yeah. glad we just said it 17 times in reference to the song. Yeah, we just we we just got banned in Japan. We, we, we will not be big in Japan. <laughs> nope, we're in trouble. <laughs> Let me just say on that note, my wife uh, Susan, uh, she hated this album really <laughs> i put it, i put it on in the car once and and she loves garbage which is funny uh the band, the um, band. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, no that that song was on and she's like what are the what is this these what are these playground rhymes why are we listening to this wow. and i'm like all right all right all right but she just she just wasn't feeling it i don't i don't know but we've established that she is a tough critic and she likes to listen to disney soundtracks in the car yes Yes. So something our wives have very much in common. Yeah. And Sky, if you're listening, we're we're waiting for this follow-up album. It's been it's been a long time. Supposedly. Very cool though. It was a good choice. I think the the guy that produced it, he produced like Vampire Weekends and U2 and Madonna and stuff. Like he's no no slouch for sure. Yes. Clearly a talent. I, I actually noticed that when I was researching this. I'm like, I gotta go back and check out some of the albums he's produced because I love the way this album sounds. I'm, I'm actually surprised there was only one producer. Like this album feels like, uh, you know, what is it? Like a, a camel is a horse designed by a committee. <laughs> like this. Um, That's pretty good, Gene. Uh, I didn't make it up. Like I know you didn't. That was, that was a good one though. It was all in the delivery, Gene. You, yeah. That's something you don't get to throw out too often. So good, good on you for taking advantage of that okay yeah okay i would think i wouldn't have been surprised if love and stereo was produced by a different team like they made that as the single and then like eight months later started work on the album with a different team and that song was so good and they loved it so much that they fit it onto the album it's not like so jarringly out of place but it's just to me it's just noticeably very different than the vibe it For still me, has those video game bleeps and bloops. Yeah, know. that's a little weird. Uh, there's a little bit of that, and I blame myself too. Like, just like sometimes with the synth, you're really close to sounding like you know, like the the theme song to Love Connection from the '80s. Like, it's like you, got, you gotta be careful. Like, um, but I, I for me, the album was like, the, it started off as this like pop album that was like you know like pretty good ups and downs. And then with Amanko, where it really takes this like industrial turn um, through, you know, you're not the one still has a little bit, it's, 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 a, it's a happier song, but it's still kind of industrial. And then Heavy Metal Heart, Christine, I Will. I kind of thought that this was a bit of a lull. And then Love and Stereo, I didn't really love it, but the sound was so different 
that I noticed it. I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. And then the last song, like, I was like, whoa, whoa, no, because that's both different and really good, I thought. And it's it's fascinating that she wanted to name her album after that track. To me, I, I, I guess it just sounds like sad pop by an unhappy person. And I don't know too many pop albums that have that vibe. I'm very interested in that vibe. So if you guys have any recommendations, let me know. But um, to me, it's a very unique sound and album. I'll have to think about that. Cause yeah, it's not just like traditional, like breakup, you know, like, you know, the stuff that like Taylor Swift, like excelled at just like writing one breakup song after another. It's a different energy. It's cool. It's a, it's a little more creative than that, but it is definitely still pop songcraft. And she probably went line by line and sang each one of those lines 42 times until the, she got it the, exactly perfect. The thing about breakup songs is there's just so much like power in them. Like it's such like an emotional thing to, to mine. Um, and I, I just feel like if you're going to be writing love songs, it's really hard um, to kind of get that kind of power from a love song that you could get from a from a breakup song. I think um, that's why I like I blame myself so much because it's not just a traditional like kind of breakup song. I don't know, that's just a great hook. Like I blame myself for my yeah. reputation. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's the thing that always it's it's that song still swirls around in my brain. I yeah. just like it. I want to sing it, but I, I can't bring myself to do it right now. So I assume you guys responded to her voice too, just from a pure yeah. vocal. Well, I blame myself. I said that this was her most soulful singing on the album. And then like into Amanko, I'm like, she's kind of just talking. Uh, yeah, she, she mixes it up. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think you could also play to your strengths. Like Christine has kind of like ethereal vocals to it, even though it's got kind of like punk pace. And for me personally, I, I think it's interesting too, because to me, the my two favorite songs are You're Not the One and Heavy Metal Heart. And the sequencing of the album puts them like smack dab in the middle of the album, which is yeah. mm -hmm. kind of interesting. But, you know, it even kicks my ass right from the beginning with Boys and Ain't You're Right. She's just got this like defiance to her that I think pops off the album. So uh, Ain't You're Right, I got, a, I got kind of a TV on the radio vibe. I don't know. I know you're a fan, Mark. Huge but. fan, yeah. Um, I did not put any notes about that on on the song. I, I thought it was fine. I didn't. wasn't bad. It didn't. It just didn't do a whole lot for me. I feel like the album really came alive with "I Blame Myself," "Amanco," and "You're Not the One." Those three in a row, fantastic. And then the rest of the album, and is okay. And then the ending was awesome. That's basically like my real quick. So, what, so what, what's your grade? Oh, it's great time. So that being said, my grade would be, I'm gonna give Nighttime My Time by Sky Ferreira a, B. I'm gonna give it a, a B. B. And I do, you know, for 
you know, any listeners and people, you know, if you want to follow me on Letterboxd or whatever, I do like if I'm between, I tend to go up a little bit. So um, it's really I'm a B minus. So, so he's saying like, I'm not saying it's, it's a B minus. It's a charitable I think, B. Of, I think, no, I think some of the album is definitely a B minus, but I think where it's really good, there's some songs on here that I think are like B plus, A minus, and then you average it out and I'll give it a, I'll give it a B. Not going to come back to it a whole lot, but there are definitely some songs that yeah. I, I want to listen to. And I will definitely listen to anything that she puts out. I'll check it out. Yeah. Um, so if she makes an album with John Bryan, I would be so pumped. Totally. <laughs> this is uh, this is very uncomfortable with me, but uh, for me, but I'm going to, I'm going to agree with Mark. Wow. <laughs> I, I too give it a B. Um, I think that, it just it was a little scattershot and while there while there were a lot of good hooks um this is a pop album and there's no like pure gem like oh my god that song blows me away like you know i wanted something that like like yeah i like look this is a good album and the reason we know it's a good album is because all three of us basically said it peaked in three different places (laughs) so you you can't say that if like the tracks are are weak i just think like you know it it, it lurches around in what it's trying to be um i i I think i saw more potential than what's actually there um but like you know i like a lot of what she's doing um and i love i love kind of jaded pop uh or like you know Pop, pop with the darker side so credit to you on that one dave yeah so i mean this is this is the definition of above average uh is it excellent or just shy of excellent i don't, I don't really wouldn't put it there but this is a good album well that's fair and uh look i'm glad you guys enjoyed the album i appreciate you taking the chance on it and i just want to let you know you're wrong because this is an a plus <laughs> masterpiece a plus a, i don't give out the a plus too often and the only, the only thing that would maybe knock it down to an A for me would be kind of like the whiplash you get in between the heavier, darker songs and the poppier songs. But I actually kind of like it in a weird way. And I think it works fine for this album just because the songs are also good. It's almost like listening to a crazy shuffle um, playlist or something with, you know, consistent vocals and songwriting, but just the styles clash a bit at times but um i just love all these songs so much um you know maybe there's a couple that are not as strong as the top ones but the top ones to me are so transcendent pop tunes and i just the the unique quality of the album the fact that i can't really think of any other pop albums that give me this feeling which is just such an awesome unique vibe where i'm like it's got the hard charging punk aggression and like the, the industrial and the distorted guitars and then it flips on a dime and it's like it's like eating poisoned cotton candy you know you're like wow it, it's a it's a it's a it's a, deli- it's a delicacy but it's also dangerous a um, deadly delicacy so yeah i'm always looking for pop <laughs> that makes me respond to anything close to how this one does and i i do like a lot of pop but this one I, it just hits me on a lot of different ways and um, yeah, it's one of my favorite albums, so I'm glad I got to share it with you guys. A plus, it absolutely has to be one of your all-time favorite. Yeah. I mean, that's A plus is a masterpiece. 
Yeah, I, I think it's a classic. I think it's a pop masterpiece. Uh, I listen to it. I've listened to it countless times, and I don't get sick of it. That's very cool. Yeah. So if there's a Hall of Fame album uh, for this podcast, this would be in my Hall of Fame. Wow. So we're going with a Hall of Famer. Well, I wanted to start. You know, give you guys like some, it. give you guys no. something well, juicy. D- Dave, if, if I don't, if I don't, I'm Grand Funk. What the hell's going on? It, if I don't see the magic of this album that you see, I can only say I blame myself. <laughs> I blame Gene blames. He blames himself. Thank you. Remember to tip your bartenders. I'll be here all night. I knew I was going to sing it eventually. Now it's time to hear Gene talk about Helvete. By all right. Uh, Nazem, Helvete. Well, um, so these guys, these guys are pretty crazy. Um, when this album was made, they were a power trio. Um, I think I started being interested in new metal, new metal that was being released around 2016 for some reason. Like it was kind of something that I was like, I've like, like really in the late nineties, the metal I liked kind of, kind of dried up. Um, and I stopped paying attention and there were things here and there that I liked, but nothing was like consistent. And then around 2016, I started, uh, you know, being more interested in, Hey, what's, what's new that's coming out. So I started to listen to a lot of grindcore, a lot of death metal. And in many ways, this is the album that I discovered that really stands out. There's a few others. Um, but this one in particular, um, I think this is, this is a very accessible album as far as grindcore goes. Um, <laughs> I think you need to just give the audience just a quick summary of what grindcore is sure. and what separates it from death metal. Because even sometimes sure. I right. struggle with the distinction. Grindcore is a term that was coined by the drummer in Napalm Death, and it honors that it is a, a musical style that evolved from hardcore punk. Essentially, you take hardcore punk and you keep on making it faster and faster. Um, Especially the most important band is probably a band called Discharge. Um, And Discharge used to play on the drums a beat that is now known as the D beat after Discharge. And if you keep playing that fast enough, you get to what's called the blast beat. And the blast beat is pretty much a rapid fire hit of the snare, the bass, and the hi-hat. Um, I mean, there's variations on it, but it's basically like, it kind of sounds like the drummer is just hitting all the drums as fast as he possibly can. Um, grindcore is typified that most songs have significant sections where it is music that is being played over blast beats. So grindcore is different from death metal in that its roots are in punk. Um, and so there's a couple things that happen there. 
grindcore lyrics are overwhelmingly like politically left and very in your face about them. So, you know, like any musical style, grindcore's expanded. And I think the story of Nazem up to this album was they kept on getting more accessible in terms of groove. Um, there's a lot of groove on this album. Uh, in terms of experimentation, like using clean guitars um, and just necess not necessarily having every song be strictly grind or like hardcore punk. Um, but another thing that's a, a staple of grindcore is like a handful of songs or maybe just one on an album that's totally slow. And I think what's going on there is you just need to break it up. It's really hard to have one speed for over 20 minutes. Question for Eugene, before we get into this album specifically. <clears throat> so like this album has 22 songs and there's no song that even hits two and a half minutes. So they're all very quick. And I am no scholar of grindcore, but what I understand is for the most part, that's very much in line with the style, very short songs. Yeah. Um, one, and, and a lot of them. The first song, Violation, mm -hmm. my note was, it actually covers a lot of ground. Yeah. There's a good groove in the song and it covers a lot of ground. The song's 38 seconds. Right. How much yeah. ground can you cover in 38 seconds? But surprisingly, there's like three or four distinct parts and grooves in 38 seconds. I was, I was very impressed right off the bat. I was like, yeah. oh, this is, this is gonna keep my attention. Now we're just at the beginning. I can't get it, yeah. it definitely tests my energy when we get to about track. Yeah, 16. so so another thing, another thing about Grindcore is like the albums, they should be short. Like it's just like there's not enough rhythmic variation to just go on that long. Um, because at the same time, like you know, I can't say I don't know if I've ever listened to this album before and really paid close attention to what the song titles were and when songs were transitioning. Cause like when you're listening to a 36 minute album that's primarily like go and then just goes, like what's the point in trying to parse out what is and isn't a song? What's the point in saying to yourself, now wait, do I like this? Cause it's an interesting change of pace within one song. Or do I like this because it's changing the pace on the album? It doesn't really matter. Grindcore overwhelmingly is not really, there's one song that stands out necessarily. Although I think on this album, which is a lot more accessible, um, there are songs that do stand out. Definitely. And we'll, let's, let's get into it, absolutely. And can I just say like, so like the second song, Scoop, which I yeah. put a little asterisk next to, which I indicate for me. I had to put some notes next to these songs so I could remember sure. which ones I like. No, I, I did it too. That one, we have like two different vocals going on. You know, we have like the, yeah, yeah, yeah which he does a lot. And then, okay. is he doing both, like basically call and response himself? Um, I'm going to answer that with a definite maybe. <laughs> um, he does at times but I, I read the notes, like they did have background vocals on this album. Um, from... that's, the track, that's the track that Shane Embry's on, right? No, Shane Embry is on two tracks. Okay. Um, and it's uh, Drop Dead and Whip. and Whip. I will say next to a lot of these songs, I wrote like good, solid riffs, 
good riffs. One I wrote in particular, Preview of Hell, good groove riff. I was so, a little surprised. Like that one was like a little Pantera-ish for like five so, seconds. So on that song I wrote, surprised Gene likes this chugga new metal shit. So oh, all right, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go further. <laughs> Preview of Hell is by far my favorite song on this album. Well, maybe, maybe not by far, but just that oh, song, wow. I feel like this song has the most emotion. Uh, and, and so like, again, I'm not a lyrics guy, but the lyrics to Preview of Hell, when I read them, I was like a little bit like, wow, that's, that's a cool take. Um, it's an anti-war song, um, but what it's doing is in the grind part in the beginning, it's about soldiers like going to war and kind of like anticipating what's going to happen. And then you have that like grind, the the groove part in the middle, you know, like, so you have that part in the middle and then the end is just like it's just like everyone's freaked the fuck out once they get there and the line that always gets me is like at the end he's like there was blood red and black everywhere there was blood there was blood everywhere there was blood red and black everywhere there was blood everywhere there was blood and like i mean i know it's simple but like the whole setup as like an anti-war song I don't think I've ever heard that take of like, it's like, you know how you say how terrible war is? You talk about someone's like first experience and how it may, like, I, I just, you know, but it always gets me. And I think that lyric actually, I always could tell they're saying there was blood. <laughs> I found it more chilling hearing you just intone it than I did me too. to it on the album. Me too. That was way, that was way more intense than the album itself. It's way scarier. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, was, I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm a little freaked actually. I'm a little freaked from that experience. <laughs> um, yeah, the lyrics on the like I could tell you're not a big lyrics guy based on this album because the lyrics aren't <laughs> good. Like, wake up and smell the cancer, you reek of shit. <laughs> Dude, I mean, okay. Number one, you can't tell what they're saying. Number two, how good are your Swedish lyrics, Dave? <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. And you hate people it. telling me what to do. That's a, that's that that's that's a good take because the song's called "I Hate People," and then like you know he's like I hate people telling me what to do. That was the first song where I was like, oh, I can really hear the lyrics to this one. Yeah. Breach of integrity. He says, "I don't need your scenester laws. Judge me. I'll piss on you." <laughs> oh, God. First, first of all, I think it's kind of funny that a band this intense and powerful even gives a shit about the scene or what other bands think or how they're being judged yeah but then the way they're expressing it is just i mean it's high school level or yeah. you know but, but again but, if you didn't read the lyrics you'd never know fair enough fair enough um you know but i just for me to tr truly truly love an album you know I, i'd like 
a little more thought or creativity put into it. All right, um, you know, this, this is what I said. For me, this is not necessarily more regressive in terms of lyrics coming from a hardcore or grindcore band than Grand Funk was for a blues rock band or Sky Ferreira was for a pop band or pop act. Fair enough, fair enough. And I, I will say that I'm making fun because they're easy to make fun of the lyrics. But one thing I do like about Grindcore and I like about this album a lot is the the political slant of a lot of the songs. Yeah. Because, um, you know, listening to a lot of death metal and black metal, there's a lot of right-wing <laughs> bullshit that you have to well, sort yeah. through. Um, so it's really awesome to hear like, the everlasting shame which was like a fucking right. fem feminist anthem you know yep um and you know whip i wrote down you know this is like an ode to communism basically you're like this, this yeah it's very leftist um but it's that's refreshing yeah um yeah my note on the everlasting shame you know was i just wrote feminist with with an exclamation point like who who would have thunk it um yeah, yeah. so for me that this album it's like I'm going to start with the good, and it's mostly all good, but it's really the tale of two different things. When it's really good, the riffs, like I said, they cover a lot of ground, and there's, I wrote like good groove. Um, we Curse You All and basically in, jams almost into Doombringer, like those two songs, good. Just Another Hog, solid riffs. Drop Dead and I Hate People, heavy as fuck, the production is thick and sludgy, and then um there's a lot of really good stuff the final sleep there was like a slow portion for like 10 seconds where you can actually the breathe. whole the whole thing like, is slow the you final can basically sleep. breathe yeah. for like a, a, yeah. a second which was great um preview of hell we said good groove riff i thought it was even a little pantera-ish um and then i'll talk about the last two songs in a second but so that's like one half of my feelings on this album and then my other half is it's a lot. The vocals get monotonous for me. I mean, like after a while, I'm like, dude, you're just not impressing me at all with those vocals. And I had to say that at that point, it's testing my energy to keep listening. I okay. mean, it is like a lot. But the cool thing about this album is at track 16, it's testing my energy to keep listening. But it picks back up with Preview of Hell, which is really good. Illogic, I thought, was too much of the same, and it kind of took me back out. But then the last two songs were crazy good. And I think it's so fascinating, because usually I do the research and look up all this stuff. I did not. So when you said Whip is the song with Shane Embry, is he on bass on that song? Yeah. So the bass i made a note next to whip that the bass comes through the mix noticeably at the beginning of that song and there's this sick drum fill at one point that's into this insanely killer groove riff but the bass was like you know i think we talked about it in our last episode that i love when you can hear the bass in heavy music and it's so funny that that's the one track that shane Embry played like is so noticeably yeah. present it's so good and then the last song, Worst Case Scenario, the final minute of the song, which is the final minute of the whole album, is so good that I wished so much that they did more of that throughout the album. It left yeah. me like, oh man, why didn't you do that? More of that, because it was 
that was killer. That riff, they were like, it was very, very good. So it left on a high note, but there was numerous points throughout this album where I'm like, oh my God, like. Yeah, I, I get it. Um, it's a lot. It's a tough listen. I had a, uh, a period where I just kind of like became okay with listening to Grindcore. And this is something that like, you know, as I've had my, my metal renaissance, if you call it that, um, I am much more comfortable listening to albums and just having them wash over me and kind of just experience it for like the pure craziness or the pure energy. And like that has its limits. But for me, it's like, if it's under 45 minutes, I'm usually pretty good. I probably would have been better served if like after the 11th track, if I just hit stop, like have a glass of water or whatever, put it down for five minutes and then come back to it. Well, that, that's part of the fun of this podcast too, is like being forced to listen to it on headphones. Cause I don't know if I've ever listened to a, a grindcore album on my headphones until this one. Um, I've listened to a little grindcore here and there, but this like, I really had to sit down from beginning to end and focus and, it, I agree. It was very intense, you know. I had that thought at times when some of these groove riffs came in because my thought when I think about grindcore is that it's just pummeling without any breath or without any groove, any discernible yeah. like chugging rhythm, and that I'm gonna have to just endure it and go to the same place I go to when I listen to like free jazz, which is I'm gonna have to listen to it in a unique way where it's more about the energy that I'm getting from it and not necessarily yeah. about the riffs and the musicality. And this album actually had a lot of musicality. So I, it, it, it was a hard listen and intense, but it wasn't like impossible. It was just like after a while. Yeah. It was no, it was no Saint Anger, but it wasn't <laughs> um, it's, it's Saint Anger is a probably tougher it's, listen than this. This is, this is literally less than half as long. <laughs> now, now here, here's the thing I don't, Totally, I can't wrap my head around regarding this band and this album because, like, it, it has this reputation of, of being a classic, like you said, Terrorizer heralded it. Yep. And, and I'm no grindcore aficionado by any means, but I was a big Brutal Truth guy. Yeah. And to me, like, I don't hear the um, the evolution of the genre that other people are hearing between need to control in 1990 whatever and and Nazem's Helvete like I, I honestly to me Brutal Truth seems way more creative and taking way more chances back then and I don't think you know and that's clearly a grindcore band and those are grindcore albums so I mean they had slow songs they had groove riffs they had crazy vocals and samples and and to me I just don't understand why this is considered such a classic to me it, it was a, a cool album but it's it's pretty much what i expected do you think it's a shame that nazem never like recorded more albums and then they had like their cheesy like they made one album that was kind of cheesy they could have called it Velvita. <laughs> oh man the, wow. a, the a material <laughs> Please tell me you had that written down. <laughs> that just came to me. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know, Dave. Like, I think if you listen to Inhale, Exhale, and then consider what other grind 
was really being made in 1998 or so. You know, every band does things a little differently. And so maybe what Nazem really did was like a back to roots approach. Um, I would also say when you talk about the production on this album, the, the mixer was Miesco. He mixed the albums too. So he's, he was- That sounded great. Yeah. It did sound great. I thought the production, it was, I said earlier, like Drop Dead and I Hate People, I wrote production is thick and sludgy and not, that's not a bad thing. I thought yeah. it sounded, I thought it sounded really good. Um, it was it's, not it, overproduced, it, but it was produced. For, it is, it is, it is a little bit bricked. It doesn't have the dynamic yes. range that you would hope, but. So Slaves to the Grind on this album isn't like the official Grindcore national anthem. You know, what's interesting about Slaves to the Grind is if you don't put it right after the final sleep, it definitely doesn't hit as hard. Um, and also like, it's a great example of, um, you know, the hardcore influence. Like somebody said once like, yeah, we were in a hardcore band. So like the way we wrote courses like, was like, you take the name of the song and you just like repeat it four times and that's the chorus <laughs> and it's just like blood blood everywhere black red, red that's a, that's a, that's a, that was a, a reading from my children's book uh, audiobook <laughs> oh man i'm gonna have a tough time getting to sleep tonight fellas i'm gonna record snippets of that and send them to you <laughs> under <laughs> yeah but i mean like you know this album is, this album's clean. Like, I think a lot of the guitars have like an airy feel to them, which to me is one of the things they're doing very different from like, like, uh, like it kind of, it kind of feels like it's floating a little bit. Like you, it doesn't, you hear it and you're like, this isn't someone pounding on their guitar. This is maybe like coming out of left field. I did appreciate there were a few nice thrashy riffs and the final sleep was kind of doomy, you know, so a little variety, but personally, you know, I could have gone for some, some more experimentation and more variety and just mix it up a little more. You, you're you're going to be hard pressed to find an album that's considered grindcore that does a lot more into i mean the the genre is defined by like an over-reliance on blast beats well that's why i keep going back to need to control which is an album i absolutely love but to me it feels like there's plenty of blast beats and intense songs but there's also a few long songs and it starts with a doom song almost like a crushing riff yeah but that, that's also like you know from enslavement to obliteration the joke is like it's said on the album cover like this is the fastest album ever made and then like you put the the, the album on and it's like dum, 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 da, da, da. and that right. goes on for like three minutes and then it's over and it's maybe that's just why even though i love extreme metal like grindcore has always been 
the one subgenre that really challenges me the, the most to dig into. Like I had the light bulb moment with death metal and with black metal and with different extreme genres, but with, with grindcore beyond a couple albums here and there, like I, I just don't know if I, if I heard Nazem and an, another generic grindcore band, if I could really tell the difference. And I, I just don't know like if any of these songs beyond Storm Shield would stick with me. I think this is a great case that you just need to listen to a lot more generic grindcore bands. <laughs> well, bring it on, Gene. That's what this is all about. All right. Well, why don't you guys? Well, uh, clearly, we know why you picked Nazem. There you because go. You can speak very, very yeah. eloquently yeah. about this music. I'm creating my own genres. Yeah. And no, it's very impressive. You obviously, you know, we joke a lot, but this is like you put a lot of time and energy into listening and studying this music and it shows and it's infectious. I just want to say to the two people out there still listening and my mom, <laughs> thanks for making it this far. Uh, but let's, let's, let's do some grades. I, even though we've been, we've been, <laughs> trashing aspects of this album and I've you know there, there's stumbling blocks I have towards fully embracing it I was very impressed with the musicianship and the righteous anger of it um, I just felt like really for my taste I needed more variety because the songs really do bleed together and I, I can enjoy it by letting it wash over me but just wasn't totally doing it for me, especially because it has this vaunted reputation. And to me, I'm comparing it to Napalm and Brutal Truth, and and it's not on that level to me. And I was expecting more creativity, so I'm gonna give it a C plus. I thought it was definitely a plus. better a better than average intense metal album. Uh, the C plus is because I I just respect all the positives, and you know there were parts that ripped the flesh off my face but in a know, good way in a good way i just for me i like the hooks and the songs to, to stick and i like it to all come together and that's something that's emotionally resonant and for the most part beyond storm shield that didn't happen with that said storm shield was fantastic and i i really feel like a band that sounded like that 24 7 would be incredible that would be something i would really be excited about their new albums coming out so respect for writing that for sure. Um, yeah, curious what Mark thought of this experience. I have to say, I think you pretty much hit a bullseye. I agree with you 100%. The only difference is maybe I didn't, while I'm listening, compare it to Brutal Truth and Napalm and all that stuff. I don't have that music going through my head as much, but pretty much everything that you said, I agree with. Um, I just thought it gets monotonous at times all of a sudden riffs will poke through that are super awesome and creative and I love it. And then I get kind of taken out with the vocals and it's the vocals too. It's like just that the tone of his vocals and I'm not going to get into like, Oh, he's not singing or he's not this or that. It's just after a while, the vocals just, it kind of takes me out and it becomes kind of a chore. And because of that, it's, um, I kind of, it's hard for me to like lose myself in it. I'm just kind of like, oh, it's just kind of plodding along. And then there will be moments of greatness. So overall, I respect it immensely. And um, I think that um, I would like to check out 
other grindcore bands to compare and contrast? You know, is that these the vocal stylings that most grindcore bands go with, or is it what are the differences? But um, for a first full on grindcore album um, that I really listened to intently, it was okay, but I'm not in a rush to get back to it. So I'm going to give it a C plus as well. Okay. Um... I think it's really hard for me because I love this album so much. I think it's one of the best grindcore albums there is. Um, but I also can't ignore that there's like, it, it's not a perfect album. Like, I don't think there's a case to be made that this is a perfect album. And uh, it's really hard to say A plus if you can't even say like, this album's perfect. So I guess I have to go A. Um, if I give it a grade, um, which is kind of crazy. I don't know. I guess if Mark went wishy-washy, I'm going to say it's between an A and an A+. Plus. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> like you, guys, you guys understand what I'm saying, right? This is like the dilemma, um, you know, is an A+, plus, w- w- what is an A plus record? Is it a perfect record? Is our our only perfect records A plus? I think you should give it an A plus because I think there's some kind of intangible about this album that speaks to you emotionally that elevates it beyond all the you know metal albums. And if you're a grindcore fiend and and you're saying this is the top of the genre and you listen to this album a lot, and I, I mean that's an A plus to me, even even if it's not perfect. You know, like with the Sky Ferrera albums. I acknowledge it's, there's no such thing as a perfect album, right? Like even False. Master of Puppets, <laughs> you know, there's probably, you know. There's a couple well, albums that are pretty much like, I don't well, think they could have changed something on here to make it better. Well, you know, for its class. Yeah. It's an A, it's an a plus. All yeah, right. I would say, I would say an A plus would be, I mean, anything can be approved upon, but I would say for me, like an A is like, this is an all-time classic. I love it to death, but it's not perfect. A plus is like this is for me top of the top of the hill. So what's interesting, Mark, is I think you're kind of an easy grader, and now you're making the case that A plus is so special. So you just have a compressed grade system. Hi. You're like Saint Anger. What was Saint Anger was like? Didn't you give that a C? Now I don't I, know I'm freaking out. I'm like, you liked Saint Anger as much as this album. I think I gave Saint Anger a C plus. The same I, score I gave this album. I, which I would. I have, okay. I I actually stand by that. I would. I would like uh, to hear James Hetfield say the following lyrics: Nazi scum, we curse you all. Sexist pigs, we curse you all. Upper class, we curse you all neoliberal fucks we curse you all and then they kind of like go to the next verse where they change it up and don't make it so political bullshitting friends we curse you all cheating motherfuckers we curse you all greedy ripoffs which really reminds me of the theme song from uh, good times but (laughs) we curse you all the hardcore elite we curse you all okay you have love connection and good times and to say that is a yeah, you can't give that an A plus after that line reading. Yeah, that's that's insane. And I want to also say, like, aside I'm from giving it an Storm- A plus now because I have resolve. <laughs> aside from maybe Storm Shield and one or two other quick songs, I 
I mean, I'd rather listen to All Within My Hands than 90% of this album. I think I'd prefer 11 minutes of this album curated some multiple better than All Within My Hands, but let's, let's, uh, let's move on. <laughs> um, Again, though, like Dave, I would never have listened, you know, Dave's pick, I would never have listened to this in a million years. I mean, this album is, forget about Sky, that was, we were saying 10 years. This is almost 20 years old. Yeah. And, is, um, yeah. and you know, we've talked and texted and, and discussed Grindcore for a long time, so I'm glad that you finally, like, I knew it was only a matter of time. You waited till the, you know. First episode. First yeah. episode. Yeah, I, I bided my time. <laughs> did it the first opportunity possible well, well let's see what gene's got in store all right so i gotta say so here's what's hard i'm giving dave rex all the time so i'm a little like dave was like oh yeah i think i've heard this album before with with helvetta so so i don't know but there's two albums that i'm like between here just gonna go with my gut. All right, you know what? Yeah, you're literally gonna gut. decide right now in the moment. You're still in between. Yeah, it's a hard choice. Sh shoot from the hip. I love it. All right, I am gonna go with an album from 2018. My favorite album from that year. It is Alkaloid Liquid Anatomy. All right. Wow. Dave, have you uh have you heard that album? You know, just like with Helvete, sounds familiar. I I probably gave it a listen, but I don't remember it well at all. So I think I remember thinking it was cool. I look forward to checking it out and diving in deeper. Um it is uh technical death metal, maybe call it progressive death metal. It is not grindcore. Um how long is it? Eight songs. I don't know how long it is. So. Better be long. Very cool. I love it. Picking albums that like I've never even heard of ever in my entire life. I will say this. The last song on the album is 19 minutes, 41 seconds. Whoa. So. Now you're speaking my language. <laughs> All right, very cool. Um, so my choice for next week is kind of inspired by kind of the political situation in our country right now. It's kind of stressful, it's turbulent, it's, it's kind of crazy. And it reminds me of a protest album from years, a few years back uh, around the Iraq war. This album is by great singer-songwriter, Ted Leo, whose band oh, is called. Wow band is called The Pharmacists, and the album is yeah. called Shake the Sheets. And uh, it kind of, it's a little punk, it's a little power pop, it's a little, even, I think if you might throw in some ska for Gene. Uh, and <laughs> uh, got, Scuffection, does it have scuffection? <laughs> I'll, I'll be skanking around the room. It, uh, it's funny because it, it, his two previous albums to that, I absolutely loved. And when this one came out, it was a bit of a letdown. But over time, I think it's become it's a grower. Maybe, yeah, the most consistently uh, kick-ass album. Okay, my turn. Last but not least, 
very excited about this one is like goosebumps for me. Um, so all I can say is that another grand funk. Up. It's an, it's grand funk. It's <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, we're going back to to Flint here. No, nope. Um, all I can say is that there's a million albums that I love, and we're going to talk about a lot of them throughout the course of our time on this podcast. Fantastic. But there, there is a a number of albums. I don't know how many. I'll say maybe twenty five that are in another category for whatever reason. But the most important reason is that it's something that's incredibly deeply special to me and my life. And I'm not going to just go through all of those albums in a row. We'll chip away at them. But this is a big one for me. And it's something that we've all talked about. And I'm looking forward to really getting into it and sharing it with you guys and seeing I'm not going to guarantee that you're going to have some transcendent experience. I certainly have, but I'll be curious what it does to you. There's only two tracks on this album. The first track is 32 minutes and 45 seconds. And the second track is only about five minutes. I think I and own this album. You might. It's um, like most jazz albums. It was recorded pretty much in one day, which is uh, Valentine's Day, February 14th, 1969. And the album is Karma by Pharaoh Sanders. Ooh. It he is. Just, uh, I look forward to to getting into it with you guys. He just released a new album last year, right? That was a big he deal. did. He did. It was with this um, like um, floating shields or something. What's that guy's point. name? Floating floating point. point. Yeah, it's like and, an and electronic artist and the London Sym Symphony Orchestra. That's right. Yeah, that's a very cool album, actually. Very oh, yeah. different from this. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Pharaoh is getting up there in age and. Um, you know, but he's still still doing his thing. But this album is, uh, you know, it's an experience. That's all. I'm, I guarantee you, you will be moved in some way listening to it. There's no, there's no way you can't. Well, I love how we're broadening our audience by picking <laughs> <laughs> more and more obscure artists to cover. Uh, no, but I'm psyched. Those are very cool choices. Yeah, very cool. Can't wait to levitate off my couch listening to Ferris Sanders and <laughs> Liquid Anatomy. What is it called? Liquid Anatomy? Liquid Anatomy. Very cool. Well, we got our homework. Yep. Yes. All right. If anyone made it through this episode, thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Check out all these albums and we'll see you next time. More music, more music, more music.